With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast weekend preview. I'm Emma Kennedy, joined by Racing UK's Lydia Hislop. Hello! On a classic weekend, Lydia, where it's probably going to be more Aidan O'Brien domination. Are you looking forward to the interview now that he has stopped calling you Linda? <laughs> or Olivia. It's Olivia, not, not Linda. Olivia. Olivia. Well, Olivia, you know yourself now, Olivia. Sure, it's a great team. He's actually, to be fair, he is deliberately saying your name, Lydia, over and over again now. I think because of embarrassment. I, I think he did ask me just before the derby of last year what my name was to repeat it to him. And uh, I told him and he wrote it on the back of his hand. Um and ever since then, he's been priding himself on getting it right. And to be fair, he has got it right every single time. Yep. I did once accidentally call him Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> I swear it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> oh. Even though, retrospectively, I thought, okay. <laughs> oh, that that's too good. I, I promise you that wasn't set up either. That's, that's, uh, why did I not know that? That would have been just gold TV. I'd have turned that into a sweeper and say, right, if you're going to get my name wrong, then I'm going to get your name wrong as well. Greatest it, trainer it in the world. Like it looked like that, but honestly, it was actually a slip of the tongue. Freud, Freudian slip. Just you wanted... well, but it could have been Freudian. Freud could have been getting involved, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we are also joined by one of the best American experts and final Furlong podcast legend and a man who you may very well be thinking, well, why do we have an American on the show? Well... <laughs> Not only does this man have an encyclopedic knowledge of racing, but also he's such a big Irish and UK racing fan that he made his way to Cheltenham and decked himself out in tweed for the entire week. Oh, my God. Absol- he looked like Rich Ritchie. He may very well be Rich Ritchie because I've never <laughs> seen the two of them in the same place at the same time. Peter T. Fornatel. What an introduction. That's fantastic stuff, Emmett. Glad to be here. And now that I know about Lydia's uh, passive-aggressive subconscious, I'm going to just try to stay right on her good side. Oh, do. Yeah, do. Make sure you do, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and so it begins. Right, uh, let's start by previewing the Kipco 2000 Guineas. Uh, the first classic of the season, won last year by Aidan O'Brien with Churchill, and he's got three swings at it this year. Uh, it's the top two in the betting that everyone really wants to talk about, I suppose, Lydia, in Gustav Klimt and Saxon Warrior. Last seen winning the Racing Post Trophy, Gustav Klimt has gone the unusual route for Aidan O'Brien in that he's taken in a Guineas trial. But to be fair, 
this is a change in tact. Uh, once Leopardstown announced that they were going to reduce the distance of their Guineas trials, immediately Coolmore became interested in them. So even though there will be plenty of stats people who will come out and say, no chance, uh, this is not what Aidan O'Brien does, the fact that Leopardstown have introduced this and the Coolmore are so supportive of it means that this is going to be a change in tact. So not necessarily a negative with Gustav Glimpf. Uh, are you with either of them or is it going to be something on the home soil that you're interested in? Um, I think ultimately probably probably I'll go elsewhere, but in no way do I, do I dismiss either of his key two horses. I think Gustav Klimt, I, I can understand why they took in um, the uh, trial, because if you look at his profile, we haven't actually seen him since he managed to win and did well to win the July stakes last season. Mm. He, he found some trouble in running. He got shuffled back. He did really, really, really well to get back up. He then was intended to run um, in September um, at the Curra. Um, in the national stakes, but he was pulled out with a stone bruise. So actually, he's only had those two runs in maidens and that win in the uh, group two where lots of things went wrong. So I can see why they would have been keen to get a, a bit more experience in him, even if it was on heavy ground and just against three rivals. Um, and he's he's certainly going right, the right way. He's got to find some improvement and you would think that he would be able to with a with a pedigree like that. Um, the Dam family, though, was, was quite um, precocious, but he should still... Um, managed to get a mile and the, the fact that we've seen in this season reassures reassures you that he's going to train on he has trained on well enough and yeah i i think he's a player um without getting you know really um excited about his chance you know i think you know some some places have him as, sh as short as 15 to 8 i think that's way too short and i'm not even i'm not even into 5 to 2 11 to 4 really in a race that i think is more open than that um, Saxon Warrior is is progressive. I mean, progressive in all three starts. I thought he was just more willing and straightforward than uh, Roaring Lion when he won the Racing Post Trophy. Uh, Roaring Lion was just running about all over the place. Um, and so Saxon Warrior is a um, is is a really solid horse, I think. Um, and it, it, it's been noticeable that he wasn't quite. He was a little bit uneasy. Uneasy, wasn't he, in the market um, mm. last week? Was that Emmett? Yeah, yeah. He took a right old walk in the exchanges. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why that was. Um, certainly on, on profile, he seems to be going the right way. He's only run on a little on testing ground so far, or ground with a little bit of cut in it. And I would imagine that, um, in my mind, I'm thinking that Newmarket will be good by the time we get there tomorrow. That is the, the looks of things because you're we're having nice weather in Ireland, but you're having beautiful weather over there as well, aren't you? Suddenly, <laughs> thankfully, today. finally. <laughs> yeah, today I can I can open the windows today rather than have the heating on. Yeah, rather than have the heating on and rather than trying to shelter from endless rain, uh, which has been yeah. the, the, the forecast over here. But no, it is suddenly good weather. I, I think it's probably still going to be on the soft side at Goodwood, which is also going to be live on ITV. Um, and it's sponsored by Matchbook. Throw it in. Might as well throw in all the all the um, plugs. Uh, but for Newmarket, it, it is looking like it's going to be... I think the going right now is officially good, but it, it's at the very least going to be that. Would you be concerned about that going for him or... I have a feeling that Saxon Warrior is the better of these two, and I have a feeling that the tactics of the race... I do, and I have a feeling that the tactics of the race will play to his strengths better than Gustav Klimt's. I'm slightly worried about how he'll handle Newmarket, because for all that he was... Um, he did exceptionally well to win the Superlative Stakes, and I remember thinking at the time, that horse is going to win the 2,000 guineas. And for some reason, I've gone cold on him, and I think the more I look back at that race, the more I think, you didn't handle that undulation the undulations of the july course um and i just have a slight concern about him whereas saxon warrior will be up in the van he will be 
pretty handy. And and I can just see him maybe doing a Churchill note and just being benefited by the tactics and, and outclassing them on the day. Interesting. I'd have said that the undulators are more pronounced on the Roly Mile than the July course. Uh, feel free for, for, for jockeys to phone in and, and shout that down. But it always seems that, that horses um, have a more pronounced problem with the dip at Newmarket than anything else. So if that is true, that's the case. And well pointed out, I said that he won the July stakes. You're right, it was the superlative. Mm. A, a small error. Don't worry about it. That's fine. Uh, so if you're... <laughs> it's not like... Uh, I did get a I did get a direct message from Peter earlier on saying I've got some information for Norville, which I think, to be fair, given the fact that it's Peter's work, Peter should actually relay that for the Kentucky Derby, as Kevin Blake keeps calling it a little bit later on. Um, but Norville is probably somewhere going. And actually, Lydia, I'll have you know now that um, it wasn't indeed that race. It was actually the stupid legislative stakes. And I would have thought somebody of your caliber uh, would know such a thing, given that you would be broadcasting there and all. Um Expertise I know just... a lot of Norvilles. I know a lot of them. Oh, I think we all do. I think we all do. Um, Expertise a busted flush, isn't he? Don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I think he'll probably... Um, I think he might well prove, prove to be the best of the Greenham horses. Um, the thing he's got to learn to do is settle. He just seems to have gone the wrong way mentally. I mean, after that incredibly impressive win in the vintage stakes, he just seemed... He was too keen in the Dewhurst. Now, I know he ended up finishing lame as well, but he just refused to settle with quite a bit of daylight last time in the Greenham. Um, and it's interesting to see that um, Sir Michael Stay, his trainer, has also um, entered him in the Commonwealth Cup as well as the St James's Palace. Mm. Uh, which makes me think that he's thinking that he may need to be a sprinter, that his demeanour is that of a sprinter, even though his pedigree says that he should get a mile. I mean, he stands quite closely related to special duty, one of the 1,000 guineas. Um, so, I mean, on, pe on paper, he should be able to deliver over a mile. And I just wonder whether his temperament at this stage is holding him back. But I don't think he's yet a busted flush. I'd, I'd like to see what Sir Michael Stack can do with him in order to harness that energy a little bit better if he's going to be something it's going to be a sprinter surely i don't i don't know i don't know yet as i say a pedigree wise you'd say he'd, he'd be a miler they just they just got to master him and it's going to be under any on board obviously this time around um you know whereas last time it was ryan moore andrea was has ridden him a couple of times previously um this horse has, has pulled for, for both riders so um it, it just be interesting to see what what they can manage to do i don't fancy him um no. for the guinea no. Okay. So, who do you like? Where will the Hislop Millions be going? I like Alarcam. Um, I, I, I think he will definitely improve for um, a step up by a furlong in trip. On pedigree, he will, and certainly the way he races, he he will. We've seen him a couple of times only. Um, he's won both of his starts, a novice at York, and then went on to win the Tattersall Somerville Stakes over seven furlongs at this track. He handled the track really well. We've seen in this season he has four legs. We saw him gallop at the Claven meeting. So that's good news. Um, and I, I just think he is the kind of horse who is going to improve at this trip. And I just, I just like the way he finished things off last season. Uh, I can't argue with that. And what a pedigree, by the way. I mean, if a horse is bred to be a classic winning miler, then it's Alarcam, uh, out of attraction by Frankel. Uh, Jim Crowley, Mark Johnston, no fear about him getting ready. So you're going to decide with Alarcam, Peter T. Fornital. You've looked at all of the significant trials for this race. Who is your idea of the Kipco 2000 Guineas winner? The one who made the best impression to me on the videos that I watched is one that I was familiar with from his nightmarish run at Del Mar last fall, and that's Massar. 
who I just thought made a, a terrific return getting back onto the surface that he wants to be running on and just looked very comfortable, very natural speed, super relaxed. There got to a point in that race where it, it looked like he was going to win. And then the burst at the end, that Myler's turn of foot that he showed at the end, showing he could handle the, the dip and uh, power home. I was very impressed. And I feel like looking at the speed figures, which, you know, from my American perspective is something I'm always going to probably be uh, leaning on maybe to a fault. And just everything about the horse made the 11 to 2 on offer look, look pretty rock solid to me. I can't argue with that. I mean, I really can't argue with that at all. In terms of speed figures, like it is something that Simon Rowlands and a number of others have tried to to bring in to UK race analysis and to Irish race analysis as well. Are you somewhat perplexed, Peter, when you come over here and, and see that we don't have sectional timing available on TV and that, and that that isn't something that we're utilizing? Because it's certainly been hugely successful in the States. Yeah, I think it's very strange. And, and especially with people as sharp as Simon having sort of carried the torch for it. And I think we've seen the effect it can have, especially when you're looking. I get, I understand why final time and final time figures have taken longer to take hold over there because due to the dynamics of turf and synthetic racing, those figures on their own can be misleading. But when you look at them in a sectional context, the way uh, Simon has done over the years, they can be so informative and still point to some prices in the betting. It's complicated, so I can see why from a television broadcasting point of view, uh, it, it's been slow there. But it even seems like I know a lot of sharp punters who don't take the clock into consideration as much as uh, I would like to when I'm betting seriously over there. It, it's, it's a little bit of a surprise, but I'm very thankful that there are people like Simon out there uh, continuing to champion the idea and and we're seeing more and more of it now in in different places some great information on the at the races website certainly mm. uh, and elsewhere that we that uh, helped definitely give me more of a view into a race like this than I would have had uh, years ago yeah Simon's writing previews for at the races.com and, and he does some exceptional work Lydia what's your take on it it's kind of like we've we've sort of played with it a little bit but we just haven't fully implemented it yet but it, surely eventually it's going to become because in this age of information we want more and more info so eventually it is going to become part of our analysis fully i would have thought uh, absolutely i mean and the problem is money isn't it um mm. you know, and for, for people to invest in in the, the what would be needed in order to, to have it freely available to the public and uh, at all race courses i mean I, I, it's going to need some investment and at the moment uh, nobody seems to be wanting to come forward to make that investment uh, among uh, from from a british racing official side of things and you know i think it, it is a a useful thing i think it's you know, it is not uh, a silver bullet to understanding everything, is it? I mean, you have to take it. It is a essential part of the armory of things that you turn to as a punter, as an analyst, when you're trying to understand a race. Because, you know, obviously it, it also involves humans at some point And, you know, humans can interpret the same thing differently. I like that assessment. OK, so to sum up. The 2,000 guineas, and we could do a Barry Faulkner box exacta style analysis here, um, or or even go for the the tricast. I'm gonna <laughs> go. With, I'm gonna go with Saxon Warrior. Lydia, you're with Alarcam, and Peter to wrap up your selection. 
uh, well, Massar is definitely the one that, if you were talking about a, a USA exotic style situation, Massar would be the key. I do have one to throw in at a price for your TriCast, though. Oh, do it. I'm very interested in uh, Headway off the video that I saw. thought that was a visually arresting performance in the Spring Cup, and the clock really validated it. I loved, again, that Miler's turn of foot, solid two-year-old form, good trainer, lots of questions. But at the giant price, I, th I think you could do a lot worse than, uh, than taking a little bit of a shot there. Uh, and I do feel a little pressure knowing that Kevin gave away uh, the big price winner. Uh, or I guess that was the 1,000 guineas last year. But, uh, you know, I know you guys have quite a track record of giving out some prices. But Headway's one I thought was worth taking a long look at. 20. I really have to agree with Peter. I think that I, I was if he if he hadn't mentioned I was going to mention Headway. I think he's totally right. I think last season he shaped like he he needed at least seven furlongs and he was kept to six. Um, I think he thought he did really well with the winner, winner getting not only first run but probably second and third run on, on, on him to beat him at, at Lingfield last time. He's bred to stay this trip and obviously he's with, with a fine yard. Uh, I think he's going to run really well. I, I agree. 25 to 1, Headway is for William Haggis, whose horses are in top form. Jamie Spencer. Perfect as well, isn't it? Given the run style. Absolutely. Um, I did just have a flashback memory of Hawkwing, but <laughs> he, he is ideal for that horse. Um, Headway at 25s. All right, we've got to get involved there. If we're going to talk about Massar, then surely we have to talk about Happily in the 1000 Guineas who beat Massar. In uh, Chanty, when the ARC meeting was run there in the Jean-Luc Lagardère, Ryan Moore will come back from Churchill Downs to take the ride unhappily. Doesn't necessarily mean that she is number one, Lydia, because the number one horse surely would have been Clemmy, only for her to get injured. Um, I Can Fly is a similar profile to Winter. Uh, did another podcast where Scarucci... Scarucci... Let's go with Scarocci. <laughs> Aidan O'Brien and Wayne Lorden. There's not a C, is there? It's going to be Sorocci, hasn't it? Sorocci! There we go. Sirachi. That makes far more yeah. sense. What was I talking about? Uh, <laughs> Sorocci uh, was the big price selection of Johnny Ward. Uh, for you, Lydia, who do you expect to come away with the 1,000 guineas uh, at 3.35 on Sunday? Well, I think it's... Uh, it, just like the 2,000 guineas, I think it's wide open and more wide open than the market would suggest it is. Uh, I'd be interested to hear on Peter's take on what happened with Happily when he came over when she came over for the uh, Breeders' Cup. But we know what she was when she was um, over here. You know, a, 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 a defeat of Colts in the Jean-Luc Lagardère was a, a really good performance, mm. and prior to that. She'd won the Moy Glare. Um, so she's shown a high level of Group 1 form already. She was already a, a dual Group 1 winner. That said, I don't think at this point she's achieved much more, if not anything more, than Laurent, um, the horse who um, won the Phillies Mile. Uh, we haven't seen her so far this season, like we haven't seen Happily. But it was the plan, and that's understandable, both of them being Group 1 winners, not to take in um, trials and to go straight for the Guineas. I really like Laurent's attitude. She finds plenty just loads i just like her attitude and how she knuckles down and i think that i'd probably at the prices rather be with her because she's got in my mind at, at least the joint best at worst second best form in the race there's an awful lot to like about her and the only reason <laughs> she's the price she is is because she's trained by carl burke and that's no disrespect to carl it's just that he's not as high profile a trainer as aiden o'brien obviously or 
Charlie Appleby, but that's the reason that the horse is the price she is. Yeah, and none of the connections are so well known, are they? I mean, that they were having their first Group One winner when she when she won. Um, so yeah, it, it probably is, but I, I think her form is serious. I thought that um, uh, Ananirium has been consistently underestimated. Not not quite so much now, but uh, she won um, quite a hard running of the Dick Pool last year, doing well um, to get on top. I think the, the, how, how hard it was running in the early stages allowed her to bring in her stamina. And she's won, I mean, she's won what, is, what has recently become a sort of weak stepping stone to the Guineas weekend, which is the free handicap. But mm. this year's mule looks stronger and deeper than many a year. And she... Um, she won that readily and I, I'm sure that she is going to improve for an extra furlong I may even get further and so of the of the bigger priced horses she was the one that I was favouring to outrun her odds I also think that Alt in Order um, is overpriced in comparison with Soliloquy Soliloquy obviously beat her in the in the Nell Gwyn um, at the Craver meeting um, I think that um, Soliloquy looks very good you know she was able to dominate the race in the front I just felt that Alton is going to be a bit sharper for the run. She was a bit came from a lot further back, um, and I think that she looks like the kind of horse who uh, will at least very much narrow the gap. And I'm sure that on comparative prices, she is overpriced. And Frankie de Tori will take over from. Uh, it's not exactly a bad jockey booking. Sylvester D'Souza, uh, who's going to be riding Dan's Dream. Are you surprised that Buick has gone for Soliloquy over the Group One winning Juvenile Wild Illusion? I genuinely believe him when he said it was a tough call because it, it clearly is. I mean, as you, you, you've already summed it up, basically. Wild, Wild Illusion has got the group one in the book already, hasn't she? But then again, Soliloquy has got this season's form to her name. Mm. And she, she, came, she handled Newmarket really, really well. And I think William has just gone with the current form over the, the form, for, from, from, form from last year. I, I, I suspect it was a tough call. And I, I don't think, I, I'm sure that Wild Illusion will run very well. I mean, Soliloquy has obviously taken a, a huge step forward, as Dubawis tend to do from, from two to three. But maybe is is Wild Illusion more of an Oaks type? Is that the reason why he's decided, ah, I can ride her later in the year? Um, I suppose you could argue that. I mean, Rum did, did stay well uh, as quite a high-class handicapper when mm. she was here. And she's got that German side pedigree. And Dubawi on. I mean, you you would see her as being an Oaks candidate potentially. Potentially, maybe he does think that Liliquy is that little bit quicker. Um, but I, 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 you know, you would you wouldn't be saying that Soliloquy is going to be able to say an Oaks trip, would you? If you look at her damn side. Um, so uh, I, I I think it's now it's now form, and maybe and maybe a bit of that now form. So Kevin Blake has tipped up. I can fly at 33s. He right. has demanded that if she goes and wins, that we start Monday's podcasts with Aura Kelly's I believe I can fly. Woo! <laughs> uh, he has demanded that that be inserted into the podcast. Um, can she replicate what Winter did, though, last time? Like, she was running on, if Gustav Klimt was running on bad ground, then so was she. Um, the difference between the two of them, though, is that Winter was coming from David Watchman, and so there was the improvement, no disrespect, David, obviously all disrespect, uh, from David Watchman to Aidan <laughs> O'Brien. No disrespect of it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. All disrespect to David. He's retired, who cares? So she had that improvement for going to the Aidan O'Brien yard. I Can Fly has been with Aidan O'Brien all along, but then again, you look back at her juvenile form, and actually she ran quite well on her second start. She ran very well on her second start. 
and you can definitely make a case for her. The problem is that the price is just gone. Yeah. I mean, she's being priced like she is the next winter, isn't mm. she? Yeah, she's she, like she's already done it. I mean, it's I mean, it's fine at thirty three to one. You know, great shout. And certainly, you would say that on the basis that she managed to finish third in the Oso Sharp, beaten just over a length by Alton Order uh, on her second start. Given the way that Aidan O'Brien trains, that you could expect much better things from her as a three year old. But uh, at the moment, I think all of that expectation is kind of has already been delivered given the price she's got. I, I, I'm not really, I'm not really interested, interested her at the prices, although I can't dismiss her either. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You can't dismiss her, but the price is, is too short. Also, Alton Order is 18 to 1 and I Can Fly is 15 to 2. Yeah, I, I don't, don't understand how big, why Alton Order is quite so big. She ran perfectly well, you know, a first time that type of run yeah. um, in, in an El Gwyn, you know, and that is, that is an overreaction, I think. Okay, so you're with Lawrence? Yes. For PJ McDonald and for Carl Burke. Uh, Peter T. Fonertel, for you. I, I'm going to go with one. And these races are tricky for a USA observer. When you're dealing with horses you the, the, off these type of layoffs, uh, with USA form, I'd be buying uh, the Daily Racing Form clocker report. I'd be getting all this kind of uh, information to, to make an assessment about horses coming off the bench. Here we just have to guess. But <laughs> there, there is one that I feel pretty good guessing about at the price, and that's Liquid Amber. Oh, I, I love it. Very strong race, uh, very strong race on the clock, very strong race visually. Um, and the, here's the, the one little clue, and this is the kind of narrative stuff that I try not to bet too much actual cash on, but I do think it's interesting that McCreary also has this, uh, this Mary Tudor headed to the Irish Guineas who did have a run, and ran well. Presumably he's got a line on where Liquid Amber is. So the aggressiveness of the placing, I'm going to see it as a positive thing. I like the price. Uh, I, I remember this dam from running at Saratoga was more of a synthetics uh, and dirt horse than, than a turf horse, but I'm not too worried about that uh, based on what Liquid Amber's already shown. This is where I'm going to go in here. I, I really like this, Philly. I really, really like this filly, and I think it's a good idea uh, that you have there, Peter, about the fact that William McCreary's got a, a, a good line on where he is with Liquid Amber. Um, yeah, I can make a very, very strong case for her, and she's a she's a decent price. She's a good 10-to-1 shot here as well. Um, do you think, Lydia, that both of these guineas, and I, I think you've kind of alluded to it already, that in the past we've had, um, like Rhododendron was a very hot, hot favorite last year, even though she didn't win, um, mm -hmm. we've had Churchill, who was a, a dominant favorite of the 2000 guineas. While there are horses that are short price favorite, Aidan O'Brien horses at the top of the market, both races just have that very, very open look to them. They do. I think it's uh, certainly more open than the market says, I think, at mm. the top. Um, I, I, and maybe more so, I think the, potentially there are more players in the 1000 guineas um, for winning, I think, than maybe the 2,000 guineas. I think you, your shortlist might be slightly shorter. But nonetheless, it's good to have um, a high level of competition rather than just the one horse that is kind of already made and coming to be crowned, you know, on the, on the roadie mile rather than actually have to take part in a horse race. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's going to be a fascinating race. It's Lauren's for Lydia, Liquid Amber for, uh, for Peter and myself. And we could do the box exacta there. And we'll see you in Dubai. Uh, live on At The Races at 11.50 on Saturday night. Churchill Downs 
It's the 144th Kentucky Derby presented by Woodford Reserve. I'm sure Aidan O'Brien will be absolutely thrilled to be handed a bottle of Woodford Reserve if he does manage to win, seeing as he is completely teetotal. I can't remember how many times Aidan O'Brien has had to hold a bottle of Bollinger. <laughs> I like, I, what, what's, what's happened to Yum Brands? Yeah, yeah, by the way, where are Yum Brands gone, Peter? We have a new title sponsor. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're dialing down into the booze. Woodford Reserve used to sponsor the Turf Classic, the race before. Uh, their sort of sister brand, Old Forester, has taken that one over. And, and Woodford Reserve are up in the big time now. Happy days. Classy. So uh, we're going to be drinking bourbon as we sit back and, and watch the Kentucky Derby uh, at 11.50 at Churchill Downs. Um, I wonder what Aidan O'Brien does with all those bottles of Bollinger. And the next time that you're interviewing him, Lydia, could you just say, hey, I'll just hold this for you? Because he probably won't ask for it back. <laughs> and they're normally magnums. And then you could have like this whole collection of Aidan O'Brien won magnums of champagne that he has no interest in. <laughs> you can have it back, Adrian, if you say my name properly. <laughs> I'm sorry, Olivia. I'm sorry about that. Right. Um, obviously, the talking point from Lydia and I's perspective is is Mendelssohn. Uh, we will talk briefly about him, and then it's all over to you, Peter, because I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about the US form, aside from what I've seen at the Breeders' Cup. Um, Mendelssohn... And would... I know nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I'm going to sit back and listen very, very hard, and therefore have my viewing experience enhanced. Absolutely. And there are there is nobody better than Peter T. Funnertel to assess this race for us. But we can briefly discuss Mendelssohn, who there was a lot expected of in the Champagne Stakes when he well, he drifted, then bombed behind Seahenge. He ran a huge mm. race behind US Navy flag and then went to America and won. And I remember on the US coverage, they were so excited to see this horse, and then even more excited after he won, because they were talking about the fact that he's a half to beholder and that horse is, is an iconic U.S. horse. He costs $3 million as a yearling and Coolmore need a Scat Daddy successor. He's mm. a son of Scat Daddy, uh, a mm. grandson of Johannesburg who won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile for Aidan O'Brien. It'd be some story, Lydia, for all that yeah, Aidan O'Brien has achieved. If he does this, this would be one of his crowning achievements. Well, they've been intending, they've been setting their stall out to win this race, haven't they, for some time now. And they've made you know, no secret of it in the way that they have campaigned their horses. And um, this would seem to be a horse that has got, got a really strong chance of doing it. He look, always looked like a horse that would make a better three-year-old. Um, and so it wasn't that much of a surprise that he started to come into his own towards the end of his two-year-old year. Um, the blinkers seem to really help him as well. Um, he's... You know, he was. So you mentioned the second to the U.S. Navy flag in the Dewhurst. Um, that was the first time he wore them, and since he's worn worn them after that, um, he's been unbeaten. Um, he is an exciting horse, and you mentioned the Scat Daddy um, bloodline, and obviously that is one that they would really like to be able to develop. They would really like to have a champion son of Scat Daddy, and this is a, a huge opportunity. Hmm. He's going to go to stud, irrespective of. But if they can add a Kentucky Derby. Uh, to the list it would be really quite something else and we've had the discussion on the podcast numerous times about Ryan Moore I was adamant he would go here uh, the reason being that the Kentucky Derby is the Kentucky Derby and if you have an opportunity to go and win it then you take it that being mm. said there were two horses representing Aidan O'Brien in the 2000 Guineas that both have very good chances so it has to be significant that Ryan Moore is jetting off to America um, and 
it has to enhance his credentials even further that they haven't gone for for an American rider that they want their main man on this horse. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know about that. I'm. I, I mean, I think that having had this opportunity, Ryan would take it, um, and it, it's very understandable that he would do. Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, Ryan Moore is clearly a. a, a Top flight international rider. It'd be interesting to hear what Peter thinks about whether um, uh, there is a, a significant home advantage to being able to um, ride in races such as these more often. All right, Peter, let's bring you in. This is the main reason we have you here, even though you have got a great knowledge of the UK and Irish form as well. Um, but the Kentucky Derby is such an important race, and and this year it's always a race I love watching. But the fact that we've got an Irish interest this year. Um, and a UK interest from the perspective of Ryan Moore in Mendelssohn, and that he's favourite with the sports books that are actually betting on the race. There are numerous ones who are not, uh, but there's a number who are, and he's either favourite or second favourite, and in some of the Vegas books, he's favourite as well. What kind of a price do you imagine Mendelssohn being this week? Because I, I did listen to Todd Furman's Bet the Board podcast, and they couldn't have him with a barge pole, and the expert that they had on, that Todd had on there, was saying... Couldn't back a UAE Derby winner in the in the Kentucky Derby. Never back one of those horses until one of them goes and wins it. Surely this is the one who has the best credentials of actually doing so. Yeah, I don't think the previous uh, UAE Derby winners have anything to do with this horse. And I, I think I understand a lot of pundits are taking that view. I, I don't think their, their wallets are going to necessarily appreciate it. What price he'll be is one of the big questions of this year's Derby. And it's extremely hard to know which narratives are going to take hold. And narrative is really something that influences the betting market in the Kentucky Derby like no race the rest of the year. They're typically controlled by computers, frankly, extremely number-oriented markets. And if it was a number-oriented market, this horse would be basically a co-favorite. But that is not the case, Kentucky Derby week. And so there's a lot of flexibility. I have waited to back him. Uh, I did not want, when I saw the 4-1, the 9-2, to the to two, after the incredibly impressive UAE Derby run, I said to myself, he's got to be longer on the day. I'm hoping that's still the case. Las Vegas books have taken um, that, a view similar to the one you were talking about hearing on that other podcast. A, a little bit cautious. I think you can get him in certain casinos, six to one, maybe a little bit higher there. That's what I'm sort of hoping he'll be to be a bettable price for me on the day in the USA tote markets, which I imagine many of the listeners will be able to access. But it's it's very difficult to know uh, how this is going to go. It's a very deep and competitive field that I'm sure we'll talk about more. There, there are six or seven horses who could take money and be sort of that sneaky horse to take more money than one would guess. Mendelssohn is in that group. Uh, you know, I could imagine USA TV talking. Uh, the, the story is rich, right? Uh, between the, the the Irish angle, the fact that he's already the most valuable horse in training. You mentioned kin to Beholder, also kin to the very hot sire into mischief. Uh, I don't even know how much this horse would be worth with even a top three finish in this race. People are going to be talking about it. It's an easy story to understand. We'll have to just see what happens. We'll have a line a little bit later today when we'll see the first look into these paramutual pools.
but I could see him being anywhere from four to one to eight to one at the outside. Um, and the longer he is, the more I plan on betting. Oh, I love that line. The bigger the price, the bigger the bet. That's the that's definitely the attitude that I take as well. Um, given the fact that most bookmakers on this side of the Atlantic are going about seven to two, four to one, you're going to have to check with your bookmaker whether or not you can do this. But if you can write down PMU, Paramutual, would you take the chance that the American betting public will focus more on justified and uh, the higher profile American horses and take the view that, well, no outsider has ever won this race. UE Derby winners have a terrible record. Forget about them. Or is this going to be a horse that's going to be subject of a big NBC profile like they tend to do? And they'll say, well, Aidan O'Brien won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with his, with his grandfather, with Johannesburg at an emotional time just after 9-11. Um, he's won at the Breeders' Cup. Uh, in the turf cl- in the Breeders' Cup Turf Juvenile, I, I'm I'm fascinated as to how they're going to approach this because there was just during the Breeders' Cup there was so much talk about him and and so much emphasis on just how important this horse could be that there's a part of me thinks oh well he's going to be ignored in the betting, but I can't help but feel as though NBC are going to ramp it up and that on track that's going to be that's going to be sweeping around as well, and that there is going to be a big buzz about him. And they're not hiding their opinion of him. The Coolmore team are not hiding how confident they are about him as well. I can hear the music in the NBC package now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do think I would not take 4-1. to one. I would definitely not take 7-2 to two, uh, right now. I, odds are he's going to be longer than that. The morning line, which is only a guess, was 5-1. to one, And I think that's a pretty good average guess of where this price is going to go the thing is as much as there's going to be talk of him there's going to be talk of of many other horses in this race we have the two from the breeders cup uh juvenile actually the top three from the breeders cup juvenile but two of whom appear to uh be in a position to attract a lot of money in the market bolt doro a horse i could see getting a lot of hype good magic the winner of that race hasn't looked so hot this year, may not really have trained on, but there's a big narrative around him about how muscled up and nice he's looking in the morning. He's a horse I could see getting bet down into the single digits. And Justify is going to be the favorite. And he could be as short. There's a world in which he could be as short as 3-1, to 5-2. to two. So with all those kind of horses taking money, I'm just, you know, just talking about in the paramutual pools, he... With all that money going to those three horses, and we haven't even talked about any of the Todd Pletcher contingent, including Audible, a horse who, in a normal year, this is a very deep, competitive running of the Derby, a normal year, Audible would be in conversation to be the favorite. Mm. He's got to be a single-digit price and is the kind of horse who could attract steam as well. So with, with all that going on, I would, and if you had the choice to take four to one, honestly, even nine to two, I'd probably roll the dice and take the toad price if that's an option. Okay, find out with your bookmaker if you can take Paramutual price. If you're betting on an exchange, then look for bigger. Um, let's talk about Justify. Am I right in saying that no winner of the Kentucky Derby was unraced as a juvenile? Not no winner. No winner since Apollo in 1882. Ah. <laughs> 
this oh, is where Norval. You known that. I, how did Norval not brief me? This is this is absolutely astonishing. What's the point of having over, him around? Over sixty-one since that time. But here's a point that my colleague Jay Privman made on a show that I did earlier in the week, which I think is really worth considering. The way that the training of racehorses has changed, and this is one that's valid on either side of the pond, back for most of the time that stat has been accrued, sort of the average Kentucky Derby horse would have had, I'm just making up numbers here, but 11, 12 starts, potentially more. So those unraced two-year-olds for most of the time, you're talking about a massive difference in experience. Now the quote-unquote experienced horses are making their sixth start of their life, justifies making his fourth. I don't see how it makes any difference, honestly. If there's a problem with justify, it might be more the fact that he has only raced at Santa Anita in his life. I think he's faced 14 horses. He faces 19 today. If the experience is going to get him, I think it's going to get him on that level as opposed to anything having to do with, uh, with the, the supposed curse of Apollo. That's where I prefer Mendelssohn in a sense, because here's a horse who's won on different surfaces with different running styles on different continents, shipped thousands of miles. He has proven to me, Mendelssohn, that he's just overcome a lot more. Justify with his brilliance, if you can lock in five to one with your bookmaker around that price, that would be very square. And it, that might be the move, in fact, try to pull off. If you can take if you can stomach having the short-ish price of five to two combined with two against the field here, if you could bet justify with your bookmaker and Mendelssohn on the U.S. tote. That's the approach I plan on taking for most of my play in this year's Kentucky Derby. It's not that there aren't other interesting ways to go. It's a deep and competitive field. But those are the two who I think visually and on speed figures have proven themselves to be truly brilliant. And I want to be with them come the first Saturday in May. That could be a one-two for Scat Daddy as well. What a story that would be uh, as well. And what a loss he is to the, to the breeding game. Um, Magnum Moon, I wanted to touch on. Another one who is an unraced juvenile. Um, I'm reminded of, of Curlin's defeat in the Kentucky Derby. He didn't lose this race because he was an unraced juvenile. He just, on the day, things didn't quite go to plan. Uh, from memory, he won the Preakness. The mighty rags to riches beat him in the Belmont, and then he went on to win the, the Classic. Um, Very good. I actually named one of my cats rags to riches, so that'll tell you how much I, I love that, Philly. <laughs> the, uh, the Michael Tabor uh, Kentucky Oaks winner and Belmont winner. And wasn't she the first one? The first Phillies ever win the Belmont Stakes over the distance, and the first Philly since the first Philly since the 1800s to win, or 1910. That's, that sounds right. We'll have to double check with Norval. I know he has all this Norville? instant on all this where, stuff. Where is Norval when you need him? Uh, so, Magnum Moon. Touch on him for me for a second, because one of the pieces of discussion that's been going around is John Velasquez is riding Vino Russo. Given the fact that Todd Pletcher has got so many runners, Magnum Moon being one of them. Why is he riding a supposed outsider when he could be on a shorter price? Is, is there something contracted with the owner? Is, what's going on here? There, there is not. We don't have the, the literal contracts the way that you all do. But we do have allegiances. And it seems likely to me, and there's no inside information here. Uh, this is just speculation, just to make that clear. But the fact that the two owners of Vino Rosso, one of them, 
uh, Vinny Viola, he rode the Derby winner for last year. And he has a longstanding relationship uh, with Mike Rappoli, the other owner of Vino Rosso. So it does seem possible to me that, you know, if it was a, if it was even close in terms of ability in his mind, that, uh, that he would go with, with, with Vino Rosso. I'm not reading too much into that. I think if he were to have ridden another one, it still wouldn't have been Magnum Moon. It probably would have been, uh, would have been Audible, who he rode so brilliantly last time. Magnum Moon is an interesting horse to talk about. We talk about narratives. I've been talking about narratives a bunch on the show. And the, he, this is the, sort of the anti-narrative. You can't, you, it's hard to find a USA racing expert who has anything nice to say about Magnum Moon. He really, he's the, the anti-steam horse of the week. And if you just look at the paper, it's hard to understand because this is a horse who's unbeaten and untested. Now, that said... I didn't like. I was at. I was in Oakland for the Arkansas Derby. I did not like the race visually. The the greenness he showed, the way he was getting out, it didn't look like a Derby winner's final prep. However, when I sort of fashioned my anti Magnum Moon opinion, that's when I was expecting him to be the six to one he is on the morning line. I'm not exaggerating. I think it's possible this horse could be fifteen or twenty to one at this point just based on the absolute lack of enthusiasm that the USA Racing uh, Cognoscenti seem to have when it comes to Magnum Moon. I'm still not backing him. He's, uh, you know, he's not one of the horses when I sussed out the race that I, that I wanted to have all over my tickets. At, if, he gets, if the price gets crazy, I certainly wouldn't blame anybody for taking a flyer. Sometimes you just have to cut against the grain of the way the market is going because, as we know, uh, surprises happen all the time. And, gosh, if this horse were to win and pay $20, there would be a lot of, uh, especially more casual fans, I think, uh, knocking themselves in the head. He's a grandson of AP Indy, so there's a part of me that is somewhat tied to him already. I'm a huge fan of that stallion. Uh, the draw for Mendelssohn, because this is obviously your, your number one selection. Are you concerned about Trap 14 for him? We know that the low draws, like Frenzy Fire, good night and good luck, forget about it. Um, and the car park draw of 20 is, is a nightmare as well. But 14, is that okay for, for Mendelssohn? It feels good to me. I believe Simon Rowlands wrote something about the where the auxiliary gate is placed. 20 horse fields, very uncommon in the States. They don't have one gate big enough. And th there was some interesting stat about the horse in that trap sometimes uh, taking a bump from the horse on the out horses on the outside coming in. But I'm not going to overthink it. I like post-14 for him in the sense that if he were down inside in the first seven stalls, say, I feel like if he broke a step slowly, he would certainly be buried and have a hard time finding any position. I feel like from 14, he's even if he were to break a half a step slowly, and the O'Brien's not known for breaking well in the USA. Uh, now, granted, this horse has shown better gate ability than most of them already. But I think he could break even a half step slow from there and still be able to get position. He's going to have to probably be wide, but it doesn't always matter at Churchill Downs. It's one of those courses that there are some days where ground loss is very important, other days where it doesn't really matter. I'm thinking that with the talent level that Mendelssohn has, uh, Lydia asked the question about my thoughts on, on jockey booking. Mm. I love it. I mean, I think Moore is so talented. I mean, it could be an issue. But the thing is, 
I think more than knowing the specifics of how to ride 10 furlongs at Churchill Downs, the most important thing here is to be able to, to keep a cool head and to be able to just react in the moment. I'm going to trust Ryan Moore over just about anybody when it comes to that sort of intuition in the irons. So while I take the point that, you know, somebody like Mike Smith might have a little bit of an advantage, I think all in all, uh, he's in as good a hands as you could have, really. And uh, I'm hoping we get to see something special come about 7 o'clock Eastern on Saturday night. That point about <laughs> breaking slowly. Sorry, Lydia, and I'll let you come in a second. I just wanted to make the point that they did. Aiden has got an American um, stalls barrier, and they brought it to Dundalk, and they worked their horses breaking from that with the bell, which that had been in... Oh, from a decade ago that had been a real issue for Aiden O'Brien horses that breaking slowly from those stalls um, but but that is something that they have done they've gone to Dundalk and they've worked them with the bell and they're obviously doing that at Belly Doyle as well but to do it on is that a recent thing Emmett? I think it I think he's had that I'm pretty certain that he's had those stalls for a decade because I, right. rem- I remember reading back in 2005 that that they'd invested they bought an American barrier gate and brought it over and that he, uh, I remember reading his stable tour with him and he, he was saying that they had the bell. But I don't ever remember them bringing one to Dundalk and doing it. And I think it was Mendelssohn, Three and Fourpence and Seahenge. And they all broke from the barrier together. Um, right. So Because, I mean, I was interested in Peter's, Peter almost allowing for Mendelssohn potentially breaking a, a half step slowly because that, that is the, the feeling you often get watching the Breeders' Cup night, isn't it? That the, the many of the Aiden O'Brien horses are a little bit tardy out of the gate and sometimes it can be chance over and sometimes it isn't. So I was interested in, in how um, Peter sees um, that being is not necessarily a make or break. How, how, what is the early shape of the race going to be, Peter? Where, who, which horses are going, going to be forward from the, the gate draws that they've got? And, you know, where, whereabouts in this, you know, 20-strong field do you see Mendelssohn sitting in, in the early stages? Promises Fulfilled is going to be the pace setter almost certainly. He's in gate three. He's shown a lot of speed before. I feel like Flame Away in gate four is going to have to try to go with him. I'm not sure if he's fast enough to even keep up. Justify from the seven gate, not going to be far behind. I would see him within a couple of lengths. He's another one for whom the break is important. He was out slow one in both of his two first starts, broke with much more alacrity last time. If he breaks well, he'll be up and on the pace. I can't see them wanting to be much farther than another two behind Justify, uh, if not even potentially closer than that. That's going to be where the the, the split-second decision-making skills of Ryan Moore come into play. Mm. There's a scenario where he could end up four wide on that first turn. Again, not always the worst thing at Churchill Downs, or I could see him just trying to draft in behind that leading group. But he's got quickness, and he has the ability to grind. So... I, I'd like to see Mendelssohn not far back at all. That's the trip that typically wins the Derby. If you can be in touch with the field, approaching that far turn, and within a length of the top of the field coming out of that far turn. Mendelssohn feels to me like a horse who can get that trip. Mm, mm. And that's one of the things they've done with him on his two races this season. In Dundalk, on his debut uh, when interestingly, three and fourpence was backed very heavily against him, who will run on the undercard, and um, and in Dubai, they went forward, 
Like the, he was either hand, he was very handily ridden in Dundalk, and then they went forward in Maidan. So that must be part of their thinking for Saturday night at Churchill Downs that they need to at least be up there with the pace early on. I think so, and you know, I, I would hope they're not going to be over aggressive and try to engage a horse like Promises Fulfilled too early. If Justify weren't in the race, I would want him basically just tracking within a couple of lengths, let Promises Fulfilled do his thing, blow him up entering the far turn, and from there it would be you know just a matter of how far. However, <laughs> that's going to be the next decision that Moore has to make that's going to be hard, is when to engage Justify, who's going to be trying to do the same thing. I can't wait for this. That was Aidan O'Brien trying to get through to us there and to not, not give too much of the tactics away, by the way. Uh, I, I can't wait for this race. I don't think we've ever covered an American race in such depth before. Um, and it looks as though, I don't know about you, Liddy, but I'm definitely sold on Mendelssohn. I think I already was beforehand. Uh, but given the fact that Peter is so keen on him as well, I'm 100% sold on him. If <laughs> I, I, I just really like it. I mean, it's it just what I said before. I'm going to be able to watch the race with much more understanding than I w would otherwise have had if I hadn't been taking part in this. So thank you very much, Peter. Oh, it's fantastic, Peter. It really is. Um, can I also ask you, so for the American win, place and show. So what are we going to do then? If we're backing Mendelssohn to win, what is the box exacta and win, place and show ways of going about it? The, the exacta and the trifecta. I would probably attempt to do... I, I did a whole trifecta bet for a show called Out of the Gate, which if folks want to check out at drf.com, they can. But to, to, for a simple version of it, I would probably make some wagers uh, in the trifecta and exacta where Mendelssohn and Justify are tied up with the, uh, the most likely other winners and then a couple of price horses. The most likely other winners to me being uh, Bolt Doro and Audible and the crazy horses to maybe run in underneath in an exacta and trifecta at, the, at a price being Lone Sailor and Noble Indy. So my general advice would be to combine those horses with each of uh, those two favorites in exactas and trifectas. And if those favorites run one, two, you know, that exacta isn't going to be anything that great. I'd be more interested in trying to catch my win bets and, and or catch those two with uh, with one of the big prices in third. And Take Charge Indy is also a grandson of AP Indy, so I'm sold. Uh, that is our look at the Kentucky Derby. There will be more extensive content on attheraces.com. Um, and you can check out more information from the brilliant Peter T. Funnetel at Daily Racing Forum as well. Uh, just very briefly before we wrap up, Lydia, we will see two very short price favorites running at Newmarket over the weekend. Defoe, who I would imagine will have the Coronation Cup on his agenda uh, running on the Saturday as a, a long odds-on favorite in what looks a very winnable race. And Wahida makes her comeback as a four-year-old for Godolphin um, for William Buick as well. Would you be expecting both to go and get the job done? Wahida, I haven't fully done the Wahida's race race yet. I, I will confess, but I have had a look at, um, at look at Defoe's race, and um, Defoe looks a very exciting horse. This looks like a very good opportunity for him to um, carry on his progress. That was an improved performance um, when he won um, the John Porter on his return. Um, it was a very comfortable success for him. Uh, he's if Khalidi came back to his best form, you can see him um, potentially being something of a threat. threat. And um, Count Octave probably 
probably needs a bit further than this to, to give of his best. He was improving towards the back end of last season, but that probably still wasn't quite enough to, to be getting um, Defoe um, beaten here. Um, I, I like Defoe. Defoe was improver, steady improver last season. Didn't find things going right in the St. Ledger. Probably, probably didn't stay, but was you know well below, below his best and was beaten some way out. So it was really encouraging to see him come back um, at Newbury and, and uh, so at Newbury and win so well. It's it's just it's just Khalidi might might be the one to to throw something down. He's now trained with um, Clive Cox. He hasn't shown the level of form that he showed for John Gosden last season just yet. But um, this is a horse that put up a very good performance, winning the Cock Tat at, at Goodwin. It was also a really good second in the King Edward VII Stakes. Um, ran well behind Crystal Ocean. Um, in the Gordon, so he, he he did have a high enough level of form, um, and if he if Clive Cox can just get him back to that to that, then he should be he would be the main threat. I'm glad you mentioned him because uh, as a son of High Chaparral, another stallion gone too soon. Um, he was always also liked, but as you said, hasn't quite shown the level of form that you would have liked for Clive Cox yet. But if he can, he would be an interesting one against him. Um, that is our preview of the flat racing. It's a brilliant weekend. Are you and Judy, Lydia? Yes, both days at Newmarket, absolutely. So make sure you're watching, Lydia. Um, and hopefully, I presume Aidan is in Kentucky, but he will be there on Sunday. So uh, let's look forward to that interview with Adrian uh, and, <laughs> and Olivia on Sunday afternoon. Uh, for Jumps fans, the breaking news today is the fact that Sam Tristan Davis has left Paul Nichols to go freelance. Mm. Interesting stuff, isn't it? I'm not it that was... surprised, to be honest. Neither am I. There was a rumour bubbling about about that at, at Aintree um, that um, Sam Tristan Davis was going to make that move. Um, I think there have been, you could see from um, the jockey bookings on certain key horses, I thought it was particularly marked at Aintree, that um, the big opportunities were perhaps being democratised. I don't know whether that... that uh, it was already known that it was, there was already a feeling or maybe some informal conversations had already been had at that stage. I don't know. Um, but it, it seemed also seemed likely that um, Harry Cobden was, was pushing through quite a bit, wasn't he? And he mm. has got that, the, the temperament and the mentality, I think, for that job, because I think it's, I think it can be um, a, a difficult job. I think you need to have a, a lot, a lot of confidence in yourself not, and, your, and know your own mind. Um, and I think Harry Cobden has got that. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Saying that Lydia and I are not surprised is probably the, the best way of putting it. Uh, that is it. We threw in a bit of jumps chat for you as well. Uh, that is our flat preview. The two classics. To kick the season off at Newmarket, the 2000 and 1000 Guineas and the Kentucky Derby live on At The Races. It is going to be a fascinating race. It has been previewed in depth and brilliantly by Peter T. Fornatel. Peter, thank you so much. It's a five-hour difference for Peter. Um, and thank you very much, Lydia, uh, for you giving thank us you. your time as well. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed having both of you on. And hopefully there's some good information there for the weekend ahead. I certainly feel like I know an awful lot more than I did heading into the races. Uh, Lydia, we'll chat to you again very, very soon. Thank you very much. Peter, looking forward to chatting to you again very soon as well. The pleasure was all mine. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all the kind words about Robbie and uh, Harry's podcast as well. If you haven't heard that, uh, still plenty of time to listen to it. It's a review of Punchestown and kind of a season review as well. We spent five seconds on Sandown too, so there's that as well. Uh, that's available now on Apple Podcasts and at theraces.com. From Lydia Hislop, Peter T. Funnertail, and from me, Emma Kennedy, uh, we'll chat to you again very, very soon on the Final Forum Podcast. Take care. God bless. Have you downloaded the free At The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, 
expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting is the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.